Arise, O God. Arise, O God. Well, hi, church family. How are you? Good, good. I just got back from Chicago. I was with uh, Jeff and Pastor Tim Peck. We spent uh, a week together at a theology conference, just uh, enjoying being poured into and having great conversation about what God's doing, about kind of the bigger picture things in this world. Jeff sends his greetings as he's still there. Uh, He's still there because he's finishing up some doctorate stuff at Trinity and figuring out those pieces, and so we will see him uh, in a couple weeks. But he wanted to make sure that you knew that he was praying for you and caring for you in these moments as we continue to move forward as Lake Avenue Church. This morning, we are stepping into uh, our our series on encounters with Jesus. Both uh, Janine and Scott have led us very well over the last couple weeks and have set a great tone, and I hope to follow their lead. And as we begin, I want to just back up a bit into context of our passage this morning. This morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke or Luke-Acts, depending on how you read that. And we are in chapter 5. So we're actually right up front. We're right at the beginning of Luke. And there's a few things that have happened as we walk into this particular piece. Jesus is born, obvious. He's baptized as well. And the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. In chapter 4, we see that Jesus leaves the Jordan and is led into the wilderness for 40 days. And that is where he is tempted by the evil one. Jesus overcomes the temptations and the evil one and comes into Galilee. He comes back to Capernaum. And he begins his teaching ministry with this particular audacious claim. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the good news. That goes on. We'll come back to that later. Jesus continues to preach. He continues to teach in the synagogue. He continues to cast out demons and heal the sick and do miracles. And this is where he calls his first of the 12 disciples. There's only three disciples at this particular point in time. All this is to say we're very early in Jesus' ministry and people are trying to figure out, wait a second, what, what really is going on here? This is where we encounter our passage because Jesus hasn't even been to Jerusalem yet. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him in on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, 
Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus is teaching in a house. Presumably his own house in Capernaum. And some scribes Pharisees from as far away as Jerusalem have come because of what I was talking about before. There's all of this stuff going on around Jesus, these healings and teachings, and and word has gotten back to Jerusalem, and people have said, wait a second, wait a second. I'm not sure that this is right. Let me hear about this guy that's preaching and teaching. And so the walk from Jerusalem to Capernaum is about 100 miles. Or about the distance between Pasadena and Santa Barbara. Needless to say, the house was packed. It's so packed that a group of people that are trying to make sure that their friend sees Jesus can't even get in or even close enough for Jesus to see them. They were desperate willing to do absolutely anything. Have you ever been that desperate? Have you ever been that desperate? I have to say that I'm grateful that I haven't. But I know there are those out there that this is true. These friends were going to get to Jesus no matter what. More specifically, these friends had heard or they had seen that Jesus could heal the sick and they were hopeful that they could do this for one of their friends who had been paralyzed. So they found a way in through the roof, which is the first place that I would have gone to if I was thinking about coming into a house. And they lowered their friend with disabilities in front of Jesus and the crowd. So Jesus looks and decides to do a miracle of spiritual righteousness. Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven thanks to the faith of your friends. The scribes and teachers of the law were sitting there saying, 
Wait a minute. Excuse me, sir, but we have a process for that. And, and the name is the one at the end of the process. You know, the name, the one we don't say his name out loud. If you've sinned, and, and everyone does, thank you, Adam, then you need to go to the temple, and depending on the type of sin, there's an actual sacrifice. It could be a bird, it could be a goat, it could be a ram. Within the big ones are saved for later. And if that sacrifice is received by the priest, whom we're going to speak for here because they're not actually in the building, um, then they will absolve you of your sins on behalf of the name. I mean, literally, sir, who are you that speaks these blasphemies? Clearly, Jesus knows that he has spoken a spiritual reality. He has proclaimed this man righteous before God and before these people. Jesus has absolved this unnamed man of his sins without going to the temple or a sacrifice in his own town, possibly in his own house. And thanks to the gospel of Mark, we get that. We get that sense of Jesus' location, which is ironic because the temple is the house of the Lord and this takes place in Jesus' house in Capernaum. Never mind. Now Jesus' act of righteousness is being questioned by the scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law. Jesus perceives this because the audience is there, because they are there. It's on their faces. And Jesus says, why do you question this in your hearts? Knowing that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, he asks the question fairly rhetorically. And he says, you know, in order for you to know that the Son of Man, which is the first time he uses that term for himself in the Gospel of Luke, that the Son of Man, myself, has authority to forgive sins so that you would know that I can do the former, I'm going to do this. So that you would know that I can make someone righteous, Jesus decides to do a work of restorative justice. Jesus turns to the man and says, I say to you, rise up. Take up your stretcher and go home. And I love the import here of Mark. Mark uses the term immediately all the time. I, I love that he is so quick to understand the, the immediacy of what Jesus does and Luke imports it and says, immediately the man gets up. Immediately the man moves. Immediately something happens on the voice of Jesus. Immediately something can be new because of Jesus speaking into the world. Immediately the man gets up, moves to the crowd, and goes home. In one swift action, Jesus animates the crowd and silences his opposition. That swift action was one of justice. 
In healing this man, Jesus heals his physical body. In healing this man, Jesus heals his place in the societal structure of Capernaum. In healing this man, Jesus brings wholeness to the man and well-being or peace to the community through the healing and restoration of the most vulnerable. Jesus then goes out and practices what he preaches by calling Matthew the tax collector. He calls Matthew to become one of his disciples to follow. If you want to see this scene more dramatically, because I'm not doing well enough for you, then go watch episode six, season one of The Chosen. This is laid out for you in a pretty dramatic way. It's really good. It will bring you to tears. It's a solid, solid piece of drama that's true. For you see, in the fullness of time, God sent his son to this world that we might know the power of the gospel, that we would know that our sins can be forgiven, that we would know that we could be restored because of our brokenness. Over the course of time, humanity has not done so well and sin has spread. And when sin has not been restrained by conscience or Holy Spirit conviction, the church and, or other organizations, business or the state, we have been exposed to the effects of sin in our own persons, in our own community, and throughout the world. Theft and murder, war and racism, genocide, targeted indifference, and other unspeakable and tolerable crimes implicate us all. Jesus enters in to address that sin. And in one swift action that was the resurrection, Jesus animates the crowd and silences his opposition. That swift action was one of that righteousness and justice that are inseparable. In rising, this God-man, Jesus, is brought to life. In rising, Jesus takes his place at the right hand of God and reorders the structure of the world. In rising, Jesus brings salvation to humanity in righteousness and wholeness to community in justice. Have you gotten to Jesus yet? You see the connection between the risenness of a paralytic and the risenness of Jesus. It is one that silences the opposition and allows us to know that Jesus is the one who would forgive sins, that Jesus is the one who is making things new. The message of the gospel is that we all might rise because Jesus is risen. The message of the gospel is that we all might love because Jesus is risen. The message of the gospel is that we all might love our neighbor because Jesus is risen. Have you gotten to Jesus? Given our passage, I think there are three ways that we can talk about getting to Jesus. Number one, the paralytic. What are you paralyzed by? It's clear that in our passage, the man cannot walk, and it seems as though by Jesus' response that the man may not have had the same faith as his friends. 
He sees the friend's faith and says to the man, He sees the friend's faith and their movement to bring this man in front of Jesus. He sees the friend's faith. Verse 20, and seeing their faith, speaking of the friends. But the question is, what are you paralyzed by? What are the things in the world that stand between you and Jesus and make it really hard for you to get there? For many, it's some crisis. You may call it a crisis of faith or, or even doubt. But it doesn't matter what it is, what you call it. It's something that keeps you from getting to Jesus. It's something that stands in the way. It's something that clouds the vision of what Jesus could be. And sometimes that's us in the church. I think that there are five crises that I run into that keep people from getting to Jesus both inside and outside the church. Number one, education. I think sometimes we educate ourselves and we believe that sometimes we're smarter than God. That if we can figure it out, if we can make sense of it, then we can be smarter than God and we can allow ourselves to go out into this world and do things and respond to things in the ways that we think Jesus would respond to, but that's not actually the way that Jesus would respond to things. It's it's an issue of pride for ourselves. It's also an issue of just education. We hear things that are antithetical to the gospel and we start to believe those things and I've watched it time and time again with students who stop trusting in the person at the center who's teaching. Can't see Jesus anymore because of all the things that they've put in front of him. Number two, medical. And by medical, I mean just this, this picture. Last week, we lost a, a really good friend. Complications from COVID. He's 44. Three kids, one of them my daughter's age. We've known her since she was in preschool. We've watched over weeks as this played out. We're just sad. We're sad that Matt went home to Jesus and left his wife and kids. We're sad that we were unable to be there. We were sad that all of this was going on and we were trying to encourage, yet at the same time, we're asking God, really, why? You all know the pain. Third, economic. There's a meme going around talking about money. 
No problem, I'll never have any. Which is something that people who have money say when it's funny. When you really don't have any, like really, you don't have access to it, it's kept from you, makes it really hard to see the hope in Christ when you can't access the things that you need for life. Four, political. When politics becomes the driving force of our life, we remove Jesus from the center and allow others to determine what is important. Let me state it another way. When an elephant or a donkey takes priority over the lamb, we lose. Lastly is racial. When we refuse to listen to the pains of our brothers and sisters of color, when we refuse to listen, we don't love. When we deny their stories, when we say, oh, that's not true. I didn't have anything to do with that. We stop being empathetic. We stop seeing the person on the mat. We stop seeing others. Have you gotten to Jesus? Have you allowed Jesus to speak to you and your crises? Have you allowed the power of the cross and the mystery of the gospel to move you? Second way to get to Jesus is as friends. As I stated before, the four friends have faith. They have faith because Jesus is known And he's known to be willing to heal people, to help people, to walk with people. Maybe they saw it. It's Jesus' reputation that brings these friends to kidnap their friend and get him to Jesus. What have you seen? Have you seen your friends come to know Jesus? Have you seen the desperation of someone who does not know Christ and is just swirling in this world? Have you seen the appreciation of someone who is loved in the name of Jesus? Has Jesus answered even one of your prayers? As John writes in his gospel, chapter 13, verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Who do you need to care for? Friends. Who do you need to check in on? Who do you need to have faith for? Who is God calling you to love? 
especially the one you disagree with. We, the church, you and I, this body, we become the evidence of God's movement in the world by the way we bring each other to the feet of Jesus. We, church, are the ones by our lives, individually and collectively, are supposed to be the confirmation of God's righteousness and justice in the world. When we don't love, we become the indication that God isn't real. Third way to get to Jesus is the crowd. We tend to forget about them in this scenario. We, we focus on the Pharisees or the man or, or the friends, and I've taught this multiple times to students, and it's a great one to teach, especially if you can get a rope and a climbing harness and, and, and get up in the, in the rafters. only did that once. But the house is crowded. Outside the house is crowded. People have to come from a long way to hear Jesus teach, to understand this phenomenal healer and possibly see something of God. There are so many people that have followed Jesus that there are people beyond the, like way back. I mean, think about it. Small house, Jesus teaching inside, there's people inside, outside, pushed way back to where they can't even see the paralytic and don't even pay attention to him getting on the roof. Every seat was taken, every corner filled. There was no room for anyone else. But remember, Jesus said in chapter four, I have come to preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, sight to the blind, set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord. But what we see is the teachers of the law and Pharisees have come from great distance to watch and to judge. We also see a crowd of nondescript people whose reaction to Jesus was astonishment, worship of God and fear. And in our attempt to be closer to Jesus, we at times turn our backs on those who are trying to hear Jesus. We turn our backs to the ones whom Jesus came for. When our own agenda gets in the way of God's agenda, we cannot internalize what God is teaching. When we refuse to listen to the truth about our neighbor's crises and pain, we forget to save them a seat. When we are dismissive of our neighbor's poverty, their captivity, the blindness, the oppression, we only proclaim the year of our Lord to ourselves and forget who the good news is for. In other words, our individual pursuit of righteousness and piety can be so self-focused that we forget to love our neighbor. It does not have to be this way. Church, it doesn't have to be this way, and there is hope because as members of the church, you and I 
are something different. You and I are salt and light. We are what Paul calls God's workmanship. We have to become friends of God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do, our minds change, our lives shift, our hearts continue to be molded like Jesus so that we begin to see out and not just in. We need to first experience what it means for Jesus to love us in the depths and in the darkness of our own heart. We have to recognize that because of God's great love for us, Jesus gets to us first. His death and resurrection are clear indication that Christ loves you and the world and is not afraid of your crises. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your fears or your failures. Second, we must remember that we are Christ ambassadors. Second Corinthians 5 reminds us, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. As though God were making his appeal through us. We have to remember that the gospel is not just for us, but for those around us, and especially our neighbors, the poor, those in captivity, the blind, and the oppressed. We have to become the friends that go to great lengths to make sure that the people around us know that they are loved by us and the living God. One way to do that is to listen. is to be quiet and listen to those around us. As Fuller Professor Scott Cormode states, that we need to listen to the longings and losses of those entrusted to our care. We have to listen to those things that keep people up at night. Those things that in a moment could become the crises that keep them from seeing Jesus. As the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said, one of the great agonies of life is that we are constantly trying to finish that which is unfinishable. Yet because of the love of Christ, our commitment can be renewed like mercies each morning. We will choose to love every human being created in God's image so that they will know us as the evidence of God's righteousness and justice. So that they will know us so that they will know God. Amen and amen.
If you are a group leader, if you are a volunteer in any of the ministries at Lake Avenue Church, I am inviting you for the last time to the gathering. We're gonna have a meal together. We're gonna sit and encourage one another. We're gonna have opportunities for training so that we might continue to be that which God is calling us to be. This Wednesday is the last day for signups. Would you please sign up? More importantly, if you need to get to Jesus, if you walked into this building and you were like, I'm just, just glad to get to church and you need to get to Jesus, we have some folks that are wanting to walk with you, to pray with you to my left, your right. Come to the front. If you're online and you need to get to Jesus, please reach out to our prayer ministry, one of the pastors online that will be walking with you. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus because he's the one who can make all things right. He's the one that will walk with you. He's the one that walks with us, even in our brokenness. So now receive this benediction. May the God of grace and mercy and peace cause you to know that you can get to Jesus just by asking. You don't have to open a roof. You don't have to walk into a building. You don't have to go anywhere. All you need to do is invite him into your world. Amen and amen. Go in peace.